0: Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. This two-part series is a brief summary of Mark's recent book on this important topic. Visit markconnor.com.au for details. There's many different ways of viewing your life, different metaphors, images. Uh, one of them is through a journey. And uh, when you're on a journey, it actually helps to have a map. Anyone like maps? The rest of you just like to wander, right? Uh, It helps to have a map. And so I'm endeavouring to present to you a bit of a map for the spiritual journey. And the purpose of this map is not to prescribe or tell you what should happen in your life, but rather to describe what often happens in the spiritual journey. So I'm endeavouring to uh, put together a bit of a map of the spiritual journey. And it also helps to have a guide. And I'm also sharing some of my own experience and hopefully being a help to you on your spiritual journey. And so let's do a quick review of some of the stages that we covered last weekend. First of all, our journey begins with a stage called awareness. This is where we discover or we recognize that there is a God. Some people call this conversion. Uh, for some people, you can remember the moment, the place, and where you were when this happened. For others, Uh, It just kind of happened. They couldn't tell you when or where. They just became aware of God. In many ways, this is like waking up. Some of us wake up with an alarm clock. We know exactly (laughs) we were asleep. Now we're awake. Others of us just find ourselves awake. Uh, The point is, we don't all wake up at the same time, and we don't all wake up in the same way. Everyone becomes aware of God in different ways. And I hope that you here today... Uh, aware that there is a God and that He loves you, is interested in your life. And if you're not, our prayer is that maybe over this Christmas season, your spiritual journey will have a moment of awareness. The next stage is something we call growth. At this point, we want to grow to know this God, uh, to experience Him more, to become like Him. And this growth uh, is enhanced by being part of a community of other people who are aware of God. That's why church is so important. Our growth is also enhanced by spiritual experiences and spiritual exercises and practices, and we shared some of those last week. The next stage in our journey of faith is something we call contribution. This is where we realize we've got gifts, we've got abilities, we've got talents, we've got experience, and we're here not to be useless, but to be useful. And we talked about discovering our purpose. And so these are often the first three stages of a person's spiritual journey. It would be great if we just uh, did those three things, aware of God, growing, contributing, aware of God, growing, contributing, and Jesus comes back, and that's about it for the journey of faith. But usually somewhere in most people's journey, we come to another stage, which we call the wall. We hit The wall. And usually this is precipitated by a crisis, a challenge, a disappointment, some pain, some tears. And suddenly we've got a bunch of questions. We may even have doubts. We may even experience a time of uncertainty. God, where are you and what is happening? Our faith isn't working just like it did in the earlier part of our spiritual journey. And as I said last weekend, if you've ever been at the wall, you need to know this is normal. There's nothing wrong with you if you've ever hit the wall as it were. This is a normal part of our journey. You know, if we're honest, life includes moments of joy. Moments of excitement and enthusiasm. But on every, any given day, there are people going through pain, going through suffering. At this very moment, there are people having questions of meaning. Uh, maybe experiencing sickness or loss or the death of a loved one, the failure of a once respected leader, a suicide in the family, depression, a divorce, a wayward teenager, a tragedy, a natural disaster, an accident, unemployment, bankruptcy, conflict, or even war. How many know they're not good things? And when you experience those things, your faith goes through a test and a trial. And when we get to this, wall, there are a number of things that we can do at the wall. Some people deny that there even is a wall, and they just keep saying, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, hashtag blessed. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with positive faith confessions, but the danger is we end up with a superficial faith that fails to deal with the realities of the spiritual journey. So some people deny the wall. Secondly, we can defect on our faith. Some people hit the wall and go, I'm out of here. This is too hard. This Christian life, this God, uh, any God that allows bad things to happen to good people, I'm not sure I can follow that kind of God. And so some people defect on their faith at the wall. Or thirdly, we can deepen our faith by freshly, uh, freshly surrendering to God. And that takes a lot of courage and trust. And as I shared last week, this wall moment can end up being a defining moment in our life. If you've ever been at the wall and deepened your faith through it, uh, you understand when other people are at the wall. If you've never been at the wall, then it's hard to be a guide to someone else who's at the wall. A few years ago, I gave a sermon and the title was, Can We Do Better Than Job's Friends? Anyone read the story of Job? (laughs) Job started off really, really blessed, and then he hit the wall. He went through multiple tragedies, livestock, uh, annihilated kids, and then his own personal health. He spent long days at the wall, and he had some friends, and how many know they did really well for seven days? They came, and they shut their mouth, and they cried, and they wept with him at the wall. But then they opened their mouth and they started to theologize and philosophize about why Job was at the wall. Maybe he sinned. Maybe he didn't ever have enough faith. And if he'd just confess his sin, the wall would go away. How many know everything went kind of downhill from there? And so the question for us is not only will we experience moments at the wall, but people around us will too. You know, when people are at the wall, they don't need a theology lesson. They need a shoulder to cry on. They need someone that understands, someone that empathizes with them in their suffering, in their difficult moment. And so that's a brief recap. For those who are here, was that a pretty good summary? Thank you for your encouragement. (laughs) Need the encouragement. So this is not the whole spiritual journey. There's life on the other side of the wall. The next stage I want to talk about is surrender, surrender. When we embrace the reality that we're actually not in control and we place our life more completely in God's hands, we come to a a deeper surrender. We accept uncertainty. We acknowledge that God's ways are actually higher and different than our ways. This is called a surrender to the sovereignty of God. Uh, this is not resignation or, or fatalism, but we realize that our lives are not subject to luck, fate, and chance. that there is a God who is sovereign. Uh, the apostle Paul puts it this way in romans eight twenty eight and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It's a great scripture. It's a scripture of confidence, but surrender. And we know that God is causing all things to work together for an ultimate good because we love him. Notice it does not say all things are good. doesn't. Sickness is not good. A car accident is not good. A broken marriage is not a good thing. It doesn't say all things are good. It also doesn't say God causes all things. Come on. There are other forces in the world. We make decisions. Other people make decisions. It doesn't say God causes all things. It doesn't say all things work out the way we want them to. Come on. Not not, not every year 12 student gets 99 on their ATAR. And let me just say, grades are important, but they're not the defining factor in your entire life. It doesn't say every student's going to get straight A's. It doesn't say every business is going to make a million dollars. It doesn't say every marriage will last till death has still part. It doesn't say all things have a happy ending. But it does say that God causes all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the bitter, the painful, the joyful, the exciting. He causes all things to work together for an ultimate good. I can trust a God like that, even when I don't always understand. God is causing all things to work together for good. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament. Uh, You've probably heard of Joseph. Uh, Joseph started out with some dreams that God gave him. He had an amazing awareness of God and God's plan for his life. and uh, He was pretty excited about his future and his contribution in the world. But how many know Joseph spent a little while at the wall? 13 long years. He was uh, betrayed by his brothers who were jealous of him. They threw him in a pit, sold him. He was sold into slavery. He spent 13 years in a prison in Egypt for stuff he didn't even do. Wondering about those dreams, wondering about those God experiences. Were they really real? And as you know, after 13 long years, in a moment he was promoted. He became number two uh, in all of Egypt and eventually he saw his brothers again as there was a famine and they came looking for grain and that emotional encounter where he saw his brothers that betrayed him, that sold him. And he says this, Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. That's a pretty amazing statement. He didn't say it didn't matter, it didn't hurt, it didn't happen. He says, you meant it was for evil. It was wrong. It was real, it was painful, but God actually used it for an ultimate purpose. And when we're at the wall, we kind of wonder what in the world is going on. To go through the wall, to deepen our faith, involves surrendering to a God who is at work in our world, even though we may not Understand what's going on. This is the faith of the three Hebrew children. Remember, they were faced with a fiery furnace if they didn't bow to these gods, these idols. And they said this, God is able to deliver us from the fire and he will deliver us from the fire. But even if not, we will still not bow. If you don't have an if not in your theology, then you will struggle getting through the wall. How many know God's able to heal and God will heal, but if not, we'll still trust it. You've got to have an if not. There's got to be a surrender that God, even if you don't answer it the way I'm hoping to, I'm still going to trust you. I shared, uh, I think, a couple of years ago on a message on worry about a a number of different ways to view the world. And I'll share that again because I think it's very helpful on the surrender stage of faith. Um, any musicians in the room today? We've got a few musicians uh, helping us early with our worship. Um, uh, the musos will love this, but it's three different ways to look at the world. One way to look at the world is through the metaphor of a classical orchestra. Anyone like classical music here today? Four people, five, a <laughs> few more. Classical music. If you've ever played classical music or gone to a classical orchestra, in a classical piece of music, everything's been pre-written. There's no freedom. The notes are in front of you as a musician, the time signature, the key signature, the phrasing, the volume, it's all there. Someone has already predetermined, pre-planned, pre-written everything. You don't have any freedom. You don't have any choice. You're just filling out or playing out a role that someone's already determined for you. Now some people think that's the way the world is. There's no free will. There's no choice. God's already determined everything that's going to happen. You ever heard someone say, well, it happened, so it must have been God's will? It's called determinism. And some people believe the world is all pre-programmed. We don't have a choice. We don't have free will. It's like a classical orchestra. Other people react to that, say, no, 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 and they come over here. Anyone heard of a jam session? In a jam session, there's no music, there's no plan, there's no order. You just make a joyful noise. And so the guitarist is rocking away, the drummer's going, the sax player, everyone's doing their own thing. There's no plan, there's no order. It's just a cacophony of sound. Some people think the world's like a jam session. There's no plan, there's no order, there's no meaning. You just got to find it, and if it feels good, do it. It's called existentialism. No plan, just find your own meaning, find your own happiness. There's a third option, and it's through the metaphor of a jazz band. Anyone like jazz in the room today? Okay, in jazz, we've got something unique happening. There's a chord sequence. There's a rhythm underneath the music. But on top of the rhythm and the sequence, there's something called improvisation. One instrument plays, and the other one listens, and they respond. And so there's interaction and interplay. Sometimes there's dissonance, dissonance. sometimes there's discord, but the music is going somewhere. I'd like to suggest to you that the world is less like a classical orchestra, less like a, a, a jam session, and more like a jazz band. So you and I make choices. Other people make choices. There's moments of discord, moments of dissonance, moments when it just isn't sounding that great. But underneath all of our choices, even our mistakes, even our failures, the hand of God is actually taking the music somewhere. It's called providence. Providence. That's what Joseph's saying. Hey, there was some moments there. Whoa, didn't like what was happening, but God was moving my story and his story forward. This stage of surrender requires us to believe in the providence of God. Um, I like doing a bit of cooking. My wife is a great cook. She doesn't use recipes. She just throws stuff together and it's amazing, but she could never repeat it. I follow the recipe book. I like to follow the instructions, get it down, and then improvise a little bit. Uh, One of my favorite recipes is a Thai green curry. Anyone like Thai curry? Love Thai curry. Cooked it many times. I was cooking it one day, and as I was putting it together, I thought, you know, there's some ingredients in this curry you would not like by themselves. Anyone had a cup of fish oil lately? (laughs) Just kind of, yeah. Anyone had a tablespoon of chili flakes lately? There's certain ingredients that by themselves are actually unpleasant. They're distasteful. But isn't it amazing when you mix it all together, what an incredible flavor emerges? I think life's a little bit like that. If we went around the room today with a microphone and said, you had any painful moments in your life? I mean, you know, we'll be here a while. Probably everyone in this room has had some moments where you go, I don't want that again. That was hurtful. That was painful. Joseph would say the same. But you know, God has the ability to take all of those experiences and make something beautiful of our life. If we will trust Him, if we will surrender. This surrender on the other side of the wall is a deeper faith than we had when we first became aware of God. The next stage of our faith I want to call paradox. Paradox. This is where we become comfortable with a new certainty in God, but also comfortable with ambiguity in life. We realize life is not fair, but God is good. How many know that's a paradox? Life is not always fair, but God is good. (laughs) That's a paradox. That's two things that have to be held in appropriate tension. See, theologically, if you've ever been to Bible college, we live between the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. How many know now Jesus conquered and paid the price for sin on the cross? Now. But how many know not yet has sin kind of left the world? So... so, Sin's already been paid for, but not yet has it left the world or our lives. How many know on the cross Jesus uh, paid for and took all of our sicknesses and diseases? Come on. How many know not yet do we see sickness and disease leaving the earth? Uh, How many know on the cross Jesus conquered Satan? He did. How many know not yet has Satan been fully bound? (laughs) How many know on on the cross Jesus conquered death? He did. We sang about it tonight. But how many know not yet has the last enemy yet to be destroyed? See, we live in this liminal space, this tension between what is now already a provisional reality but what is not yet fully been realized. A liminal space is a little bit like a trapeze where you let go of one and you haven't quite got the other. How many know that's a little freaky? We live in this liminal space of now, but not yet. And unless you believe in a God that has his arms underneath, it can be a little scary. This is the paradox of life. You know, the Apostle Paul had more revelation than anyone other than Jesus. I mean, he went to the third heaven, apparently, one day for some revelation. I haven't even been to the first heaven yet myself. Been to the third heaven, wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, this guy had amazing revelation. But listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect Clarity. Then he says this, all I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. This is the leading theologian of the Christian faith who knows more than anyone who's ever lived other than Jesus. And he says this, all that I know is partial and incomplete. He doesn't know it all. And he's okay with it. Paul doesn't know it all. He doesn't have all the answers. He hasn't had all of his whys resolved. He's got things he doesn't see, things he doesn't know. He's comfortable, however, with the mystery of not knowing. This is a paradox. He's comfortable with ambiguity, even with contradictions. He's willing to trust God even though he doesn't have all the answers. What a contrast to our world today. You know, if you look at the church today, there are 39,000 Christian denominations today. Not churches, denominations. And every denomination has a statement of faith showing what they believe is the truth. And many of them are busy showing the others that they're wrong, calling some of them heretics. Yet here's the guy who knows more than everybody going, you know what? I don't actually know all the answers. I don't see it all yet. One day I will, but right now I don't. <laughs> what arrogance to think that we're going to have all the answers. You totally take the mystery out of life and out of faith. Oh, the joy of not knowing it all and being okay. This is a deeper stage of faith here where we just, we're just we okay. Hey, life is not always fair. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers to every question you have, but I can actually trust God. Because there's a mystery to life. There's a mystery to life. We can still be joyful even though we don't know and fully understand. All there is to life. See, not all of life is black and white. Have you discovered that? There's a wonderful rainbow of colors in this universe. And we try to put God in our puny boxes. And he doesn't answer all of our questions and our definitions and our propositions about him. Uh, Even Jesus, he never healed anyone the same way. Showing us that you can't limit God to a formula. If you do A, B, and C, D will always happen. You know, God doesn't fit our boxes, our propositions, our statements of faith. God is beyond all of them. You know, at the end of the book of Job, (laughs) Job never got an answer to the question why he was at the wall, but he had a revelation of a God that was way bigger than he'd ever imagined. Paradox. Are you okay with uncertainty? Are you okay with not having all the answers? Uh, Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, said God is an unsettling God. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, someone asked about Aslan the lion, and they said, Aslan the lion, is he safe? And the answer, what a classic, he's not safe, but he is good. There's a mystery uh, to God, to faith, that paradox accepts. Next stage in our map, I want to call love. It's here that we give ourselves fully to a Life of love for God and for others. The Apostle Paul actually elevated love in that chapter I was just reading above everything else. Gift of prophecy, love's more important. Miracles, love's more important. Having knowledge of all God's secret plans, which none of us have, love's more important. Love, how we treat one another on a daily basis, is far more important than all these common pursuits that we can have. To love people genuinely and deeply, all based on a revelation of God's love for us. Letting go of ego, letting go of self, and living more to God. I had a a funny but embarrassing uh, experience a few years ago. Uh, I was speaking at a conference in Sweden, and Nicole was with me. And on our way back, we happened to have a, a quick stop in Beijing. It was actually a 24-hour stop. I'd been to Beijing a few times myself, and Nicole hadn't. So when I saw we had a 24-hour layover, I said, hey, hey, honey, let's, let's get out of the plane, leave the airport. Let's go do a little sightseeing. Um, I reckon in 24 hours, we can see Tiananmen Square, the Forbidden City, and get up to the Great Wall you can see where this is going. Anyway, so we landed, we landed in Beijing, uh, and we managed to get a, a pass out of the airport, and I got a, a taxi, a driver, and a tour guide, and off we went. Little did I realize it was about 36 degrees, so it was a stinking hot day. Anyway, we went to Tiananmen Square, which is this amazing historical place. There were people everywhere, and it was really hot. And you know what the Chinese do when it's hot? They, wear umbra- they use umbrellas, to not get sunburned. Now, the average Chinese height is about this. <laughs> And I'm this. I mean, I'm dodging umbrellas everywhere, getting kind of poked in the nose. And anyway, so uh, we we did Tiananmen Square. Then we went to the Forbidden City, which is just huge. We kind of plowed through there. So, I mean, it's hot. It's crowded. I'm sweating. And uh, the third stop was the Great Wall. Now, the Great Wall is actually outside of Beijing. You've got to drive for a ways. And so we got out to the Great Wall, and uh, there's a bus area where everyone gets off. And then you've got to walk. And we're talking thousands of steps And so there are all these towers along the wall. And so uh, we got up there and uh, had a bit of a break and walked some more. There was one more tower, and Nicole said, I'm done. Like it was hot. We were sweating. You know, time's moving on, and so I said, "I'm going to get up to the top wall." So uh, I managed to walk up all those steps, got to the top tower, and uh, I had had my iPhone with me, and I actually did a 360-degree a panorama while I was up there. Amazing. Anyway, we we came down, and on the way down, um, they actually have these kind of toboggans made by the Germans, and so you, you actually get in this toboggan with a brake, and you go all the way down, it kind of saves walking all those steps. So you know, we're racing against the clock and we've been up there, Nicole took a bunch of photos, I've got this video, and so we're coming down, and we eventually get down to the bus area, and we get into our car with the tour guide, and we're doing okay for time, and so we're on our way back to the airport now, and what an amazing day. And so Nicole has her phone, and we're in the back seat, and she's showing me some of her photos, I go, yeah, that's good, that's not bad, that's, that's excellent. And then I wanted to show her my amazing video. Just a little tip, I'm actually pretty good with the iPhone. Like um, a few years earlier, we did a a trip in Turkey of the seven churches of Revelation, and we went to Cappadocia, and although I'm afraid of heights, we went up on a hot air balloon, um, and we went a kilometer in the air, and I took some photos. In fact, I sent some into a Mac magazine, and and I got second place. This photo's coming up right now. I got second place for this photo right there. there. There were 100 balloons that went up that morning to see the sunrise, and I sent this photo in, and I got second place. So, so I'm pretty good with the phone. <laughs> anyway, so we're sitting in the back seat of a car, and Nicole's showing me all of her photos, and they're okay. And I said, honey, I took this video. You've got to see it. And so I pressed play, and this is my video. Now, I'm going to give you the privilege of seeing that one more time. I want you to watch the level of concentration and then the confidence and then the satisfaction just at the end. Here we go. Thanks, Tim. One more time. Here we go. Now, what what had happened, it's a sunny day, it's glary, so I hadn't noticed that I've just taken a 360 degree selfie video. Now, 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 just get this, just get this. We're on the way back to the airport. I've just been to one of the wonders of the world, the Great Wall of China. And all I've got to show for it is a photo of my unshaven, ugly, sunburnt, sweaty face. Did you know every year they add a new word to the dictionary? You know what the word was for 2013? Selfie. Selfie. What's the lesson in my humiliating moment? When your life is over... And they show the video. Hopefully it wasn't one big selfie. We need to turn the camera around. And, and at this level, onto our next slide, at this level you actually realize life is not about me. It's not about me. It's, it's actually about God and it's about others. We turn the, the camera around. And we start to live for other people. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, was unable to make a big conference of Salvation Army ministers. And so he sent through a message. <laughs> and they got the message and they got up in front and said, uh, William Booth can't be here today. And they read his message <laughs> and it was one word, others. That was the whole sermon, others. Because that's what life and ministry is all about. It's not about ourselves. It's about others turning the camera around. Jesus said this, Give away your life and you'll find your life given back. Not merely given back, but given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way to real life. In other places he says, If you grasp and cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you let your life go, you'll live life on God's terms. And so here is a sample map of the spiritual journey it's a mystery and as I said although we've looked at it sequentially doesn't normally happen that way every one of you are unique every one of us uh, individuals, and although we presented it as a circle, um, the journey of faith has curves and twists and surprise, and sometimes we jump from one phase to another, and sometimes we feel like we're in two stages, sometimes we get stuck, sometimes we move in random patterns, but this is often the journey of faith, awareness of God, growing, contributing, moments at the wall, surrendering afresh to God, accepting paradox, not knowing it all, and then realizing that life is actually about love, giving and living for others. There's no stage that's better than the other. We all arrive at the stage of love and we're not finished. We often move on to greater awareness of God and further growth and further contribution and maybe some more time at the wall. Hopefully we go to higher levels and experiences with God. Notice that God is at the center. And He is present and at work in every stage of our spiritual journey. And our job is not to try to control the journey, but to hopefully becoming closer and more connected to God at each stage that we find ourselves in. So the ultimate goal of the spiritual journey is to know and experience God. And so I wonder where you may be right now in your spiritual journey. You identify with one of these stages. I wonder where you've been in the past. Can you identify maybe when you became first aware of God, some moments at the wall? Can you see possibly some of your own experience in this map here? Uh, what, What insights can you glean from this for relating to others, maybe sitting right next to you, who are at different stages in their journey of faith? We're not all at the same stage. Uh, What activities or experiences could be helpful at the stage you're in now? They're they're different for every stage. You know, entire families and communities can experience stages of faith together, (laughs) awareness of God, or maybe some grief and some loss. Uh, Many churches only focus on stage one, two, and three. Come to Jesus, grow, get in a life group, serve, (laughs) contribute. Uh, What would it look like? to actually celebrate all of these experiences of faith. And that's one of the things I love about Bayside, is the the, the breadth and the mystery that we embrace in this journey of faith. There's an old hymn called, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's taken from the book of Lamentations. And Jeremiah, who wrote this lament, was living during one of the darkest moments of Israel's history. God's city, Jerusalem, had been burned with fire. The people had been taken into captivity. The entire community was at the wall. (laughs) The entire community was at the wall going, God, where are you? We're supposed to be your people. What in the world is going on? And in that context, he penned these words. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. There's no denial there. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, how many know you've got to talk to yourself? We all talk to ourselves, but what are you saying to yourself? I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. How many can see a level of surrender and trust here at the wall? (laughs) That's unbelievable. He's in the darkest moment of history, and yet he's not denying it, but he's going, there's a faithful God and his mercies are fresh every morning. And so wherever you may be on your spiritual journey, Awareness of God, growing, contributing, maybe some moments at the wall now. Maybe learning to live with with paradox, (laughs) the scary in-between times. Or maybe realizing that life is actually about love. Wherever you are in your journey, let me finish with a prayer, a prayer blessing attributed to St. Patrick. Christ be with us. Christ within us. Christ behind us, Christ before us, Christ beside us, Christ to win us, Christ to comfort and restore us, Christ beneath us, Christ above us, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love us, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger, Christ With us. Let's pray. This two part series is a brief summary of Mark's recent book on this important topic. Visit markconnor.com.au for details.